guys and welcome back to the Film Sock Podcast. It's Maeve Allen here and... My name is Pavel. And today we are going to be talking about foreign language films uh, specifically, but it's also been quite a big week for nominations for the Golden Globes, um, for the Oscars. Critics' Choice Awards. And the Critics' Choice Awards. Pavel, would you like to go through who's been nominated? Okay, so for Golden Globes, the best foreign, the best foreign language films and the nominations are Capernaum, Girl, Never Look Away, Roma and Shoplifters. And for the Critics' Choice Awards, the nominees in the same category are Cold War, Roma, Capernaum, uh, Shoplifters and Burning. So, May, what do you think of the nominations? I think that it's a daylight robbery. <laughs> Cold War has been not nominated for a Golden Globe, right? Does anyone agree with me? Yes, yes, I definitely agree. I uh, try to keep up, uh, to be up to date with the biggest foreign language releases and definitely I feel like Cold War is one of the best foreign language, non-English films mm. that has uh, that has uh, that came out this year. Why did you like it so much? Partially because it's a rom- it's a really good romance story, and I feel like there aren't really that many romance movies coming out recently, and it's always nice to get one that's a bit of a change of pace and, and instead of focusing on action, big spectacle is about something more personal like inter- like uh, hum- like relationships and mm. love You're a bit of a hopeless romantic, Pavel Maybe <laughs> Recently I start uh, when I ch- choose new films that, uh, that I try to watch, I gravitate towards films that are about romance to some extent yeah and that f- the, yeah in which ro- romantic subplots are a big part of their storylines i thought the romance in um in cold war was absolutely as well as being visually mesmerizing just that their kind of magnetic attraction to each other paul i don't know if anybody listening has seen the film but it's set in a post-war poland sort of in the ruins of post-war poland uh, goes from 1949 onwards. Is it a decade that it's set over? It's 15 years. It ends 15 in years. 1964, I believe. Yeah, and you're sort of drawn through the Iron Curtain from uh, from Poland uh, into Paris to East Berlin. It's really, really beautiful. It's a magnetic attraction of these two lovers. What did you think about the cinematography? Oh, I really, really loved it. It's uh, it's an really uh, on uh, one hand, it's really uh, really interesting that it's the se- it's second it's the second consecu- consecutive Pavlikovsky film that was not only shot in black and white but also shot in the Academy ratio, so four by three. But uh, and uh, I r- uh, but there are still a couple of differences that are between these two films. Like for example, have you know have you seen Ida? I haven't seen Ida. I'm so ashamed to say. So, for example, in Ida, uh, all of the uh, actors were uh, wearing black contact lenses on their eyes, and the uh, and their eyes have been just these black voids inside their heads. But uh, and uh, 
but in the Cold War, the mm, the eyes are much more, you know, naturalistic when because there are no contact lenses, then they look like they would look if they were sh- if any other movie maker had shot them in black and white. Yeah. Yeah, and also what? Uh, also, I, I in general I believe that the, the let's say the style uh, the f- uh, cin- style of cinematography was was kind of similar to Ida in that it uh, in that it obviously was black and white and every uh, and the, and uh, the composition of each shot was really amazing but the thing that really strikes me in Cold War is how uh, human uh, how uh, human faces are framed in the close-ups mm-hmm. have you noticed that in every shot there is a lot of space uh, there's a lot of space left. Uh, f- okay, uh, let, let me rephrase it. So uh, when you see a close-up of a face, there's a lot of space left in the frame, so, uh, and the hum- uh, and the faces occupy really, really uh, a really small part, uh, sp- small part of the frame. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I was reading about. Uh, I was reading some interviews with the cinematographer Lukasz Zal and he talked about how he tried to show uh, uh, show with the, fr- uh, with the fr- uh, composition uh, how the world weighs down on these characters by you know, by putting such so much space around uh, so, yeah. so much space around them really clever I thought it's really really beautiful the way that he uh, the way that they both shot it actually and I think when I went to the uh, Q&A with uh, Pawlikowski, and he was saying he wanted to, I think you were there as well, but he yes, said he yes. wanted to um, give an impression of the world outside the frame as well. And that's why we always see in this story, we're kind of catapulted through the years, and we stay with Victor, the main guy, Victor. Victor, yeah. Victor. <laughs> we stay with him, and we're kind of really missing this world that Azula, who's the main character, the female character, inhabits, and we want her to come back. And every year she arrives back, or a couple of years she arrives back, and his world just ignites, becomes interested again. I found him actually quite boring when she wasn't there. He's kind of brooding in a turtleneck. I was like, oh, come on. I really want her to come back. But I think maybe that was what he was meant to... He was meant to be a bit dull without her in his life. Yes, yes, especially considering how much, how energetic Zula was, how she was like, you know, a flicker of fire. She was dancing around, jumping. She was full of energy. Like, for example, in this uh, really, uh, in this quite heavily advertised dancing scene, that's really, I believe, the encapsulation of her character, how she... uh, She doesn't really care. She just jumps around between different partners, Dances on the on the, ta- on the tabletops. Mm. She's a huge flirt as well. She's incredibly sexy in it. I think. Yes, definitely. So many, Beautiful. Yeah, many people have compa- compared uh, her uh, uh, the role of Zula to the roles that Marilyn Monroe used to play in the uh, movies in the fifties. Yeah, that particular dance scene I thought was really, really, really beautiful because I think they rehearsed it for a week without any cameras. And they're all the people who are in it are professional dancers. I don't know if you heard him say that. Oh, I did. I did. I rehearsal on that one scene. It's quite amazing. Yeah. Uh, also, coming back to the topic of dance, one cannot forget the uh, the performances by the folk group um, Mazurek yeah. that were in the first third of the film. 
what's really amazing about it is that also you know, uh, before uh, shooting them on a camera uh, on camera Joanna Kulik I believe she trained with the Polish folk group Mazowsze that whose headquarters re- actually quite close to my home back in Poland oh, yeah. yeah yeah it's just 15 minutes right so I, I in the, uh, so I come here from time to time when there are some cultural events like concerts or stuff like that and they tra- trained with her for six months and the other people that were dancing in this group are actually members of this folk group which is called Mazowsze. I think that makes it more authentic I think this film feels the authenticity of this film I don't know if it's owed to that or his background in documentaries it doesn't you kind of forget that you're watching a film I think but also with the uh, aspect ratio he's kind of going back to those post-war films of Poland Poland I think especially the black and white as well it's definitely but do you think that that authenticity comes from his did you know he had a background in documentaries? Yes, I was I was aware of that, but I haven't really seen anything from him. I haven't him. seen any of his stuff, but I wonder if that plays any sort of impact on how he writes and how he kind of moulds this script, because he doesn't start with a script. I don't know if you remember him saying in that Q&A, but they have no script on set. Yeah. And it's a kind of melding together. It's a live thing, which he, you know is constantly moulding to fit what he thinks is going to change while he's shooting. I think that's really unusual. Yes, yes. And so uh, coming back to the f- part of the script, the, the, par- uh, the thing I found really funny is that they did have a script that was around 16, 60 pages long, but it was only used uh, when they were asking for uh, financial support oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at the Polish Film Fund in order to be- let them better... Uh, that the people in the commission that decides whether to give it money or not to visualize what the story is about, who are the characters and whatnot. Yeah. Talk, one thing I wanted to talk about, about because um, we're talking about foreign language, is that actually there's not that much language in, in the... There's not that much dialogue, really, in the script. Yeah. I think the music I wanted to talk about is just utterly mesmerizing. It's beautiful. That kind of going from starting with the folk songs moving into appropriating those folk songs and taking them to Paris and turning it into jazz. It's mm. so clever. I don't know if you... What did you think of the music? Well, I, I, it's really stuck with me, especially the song Dwa Serduszka Czteroczy, which actually uh, um, recently uh, Spotify publi- uh, published... The li- uh, pers- last year, uh, this... A few days ago, Spotify published personal list of the most heard songs of the year, and actually, Dwaserduska Cztery Oczy was one in the top ten. Which My is that one? You're gonna just on the case. Dwaserduska Cztery Oczy, oi, oi, oi. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Such a beautiful song. Yeah, and also what. Uh, What's really interesting about it is that is the let's see the further political context of the music. Because, uh, as he has told in in this Q&A, the music of Mazowsze and also other similar folk bands, like, for example, Śląsk, was really popular with the communist regime because it, it partially repre- uh, represented uh, their view on uh, what... Suppo- okay. 
it partially represented the, uh, what they wanted to emphasize in the in their art and in their uh, ideology. The let's say the uh, farmland roots of the people. But uh, what it's but but instead of uh, using uh, true performers like the ones from the very beginning of the film, they appropriate these songs and t turn them into these these huge orchestral pieces that are sung uh, sung in choirs instead mm. of in uh, in solo for the state. Yeah, for the purpose of bolstering state culture, I guess. Should we talk about? a bit about our favourite scenes, because I had so many that I thought were just so beautiful. There's one where they're all, do you remember this, where they're all singing and it, they've just been told that they need to make, their, need to infuse their show. So they've got this um, folk, folk show, travelling folk show, they need to infuse it more with propaganda. They need to make it more pro-Soviet, because Russia's, uh, Russia's taken control over Poland. Yes, and there's yes. this utterly menacing scene where these beautiful singers are singing their folk song and then they've got to hoist this picture of Stalin up behind them and it's just so terrifying that you think his eyes are looming over. Yeah, Ac actually it's not a folk song, it's, uh, I believe it's, uh, it's not a folk song, it's uh, some kind of uh, let's see, song about, you know, Soviet ideology. That how particular one? Yes, yes, oh, the I one see. that he performed while the portrait of Stalin is being unwound. So it's uh, it's not actually uh, so it wasn't really a folk so okay. so song in that sense, but okay. it's it it was in a similar style, but it was created later. Created later. Yeah. But just so so it's such a so that's why I think this film is so clever, because you're mixing I don't know the personal with the relationship with the political, and that is just a microcosm of Russia's increasing control over. Poland, I guess, this huge face looming behind the singers. Yeah, yeah, um, the the er the early nineteen fifties were a really difficult time in Poland. Was yeah, like there were in the in the Soviet Russia, and the political repression repressions were really really tough. And well, I think you get that from the film because it shows how the regime has just corrupted their relationship. Mm. What did you think of the ending? Yeah. Spoilers, by the way, people who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> so, hmm. it's. I don't know. On one hand, it's. I'm quite happy that in the end they work together, and if you let's say believe in the afterlife, you believe that they will be also be with uh, each other after they die. Hmm. Did you think it was cheesy? No, not really. I went with um, my mum, <laughs> and she said, "God, that's bloody cheesy at the end." For God's sake! I thought that's so. I thought if that was the only way that they could end. They're kind of like a Polish, the, yeah, Bolshevik the, the, Romeo and Juliet. In that yes, way. The, uh, uh, just to say, it's that tough for them to be to, uh, for them to be together, but it's even tougher for them to be apart. So, it's re if they really wanted to be together forever that's actually the only way for them to achieve this yeah i thought that was the only answer and that was the only kind of resolution to the chaos really was that that they would both have to die yes yes that's, uh, that, that's actually my uh, these are my thoughts as well so which other scenes did you like particularly were there any shots that stuck out to you 
Oh, the one when they were uh, on a boat in Paris and they were, uh, yeah, yeah she, when they were watching uh, sightseeing the city and the we there is this beautiful shot of Notre Dame Cathedral that's over them in the middle of the night just looming over, over the ship. That's really beautiful. And the other part that also really stuck with me, that's actually the beginning. The, uh, when they uh, do these reha- rehearsals of uh, fol- folk songs, they travel from uh, from a village to village and listen to uh, different performers do the uh, perform their uh, music. That that's actually really something that resonated with me. The you know the this raw quality of their per- performances. Yeah, the, the, without really this you know orchestral oomph. And yeah, 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 and the, the j- jazz aren't uh, arrangements in Paris. Yeah, I thought I can't stop thinking about that scene. That was so. There's a scene where Zula comes back uh, to find Victor, Victor, and he sort of enlists her. They kind of start singing together and playing together again, and there's this beautiful scene of sweeping shots, and we start, I think, on maybe. A saxophonist, and we move really, really slowly yes, over yes. to the drums, and the the light behind them, the stage lighting's licking their outside, out framing them beautifully, and it's so calm and slow, and these long shadows are cast, and then suddenly you're met with Zula, this beautiful blonde woman, just singing that distortion of the Russian was it what did you say not folk song no no, no this one it was this the one the, the, the one that was uh, with st- uh, that was played when the Stalin w- portrait was shown yeah. w- was not yeah the, everything except for that that particular one was was actually was an actual folk song that yeah well, when she sings that I think that was my absolute favorite shot and he's I think another thing that Pablo Costa does so well is makes his actors act so subtly there's very very little movement oh, I mean on Zula's part there is but in, the, in their face they say all all he has to do is a long lingering shot of them looking at each other and you're really getting that magnetic tension between the two characters yes yes that's really impressive especially considering that in, at the very beginning the the, the chemistry what between uh, Joanna Kulik and Tomasz Kot, the actors who play Zula and uh, Victor, uh, was really not maybe not existing, but they, uh, they had to work it through. Oh, the two actors. Yeah. Did they not like each other? I'm not sure if they did not maybe maybe ne- not necessarily not like each other, but uh, let's say on uh, on camera they it w- their relationship initially wasn't really working, so they had to. You know, rehearse the scenes and work, work, work it out, and eventually, he, yeah, uh, eventually it was really convincing. So I still stand by my point that he's so much more boring than her. Oh, definitely, <laughs> <laughs> that's without the comparisons. He's just so. I just with those shots. I think I already said this, but it's worth saying again. Where he's, she leaves him, and he's. We we stay with him. The story stays with him, almost annoyingly. I'm thinking, where the hell is she? Come back, please. <laughs> Please come back, but that's I guess what he's thinking as well. Cause yeah, yeah, so and, uh, and actually Zula also points that out in the middle of the, uh, in one of the scenes that he he's this you know uh, 
emigra immigrated artist who's you know starving and doesn't constantly sad on one hand he's missing the his homeland but he really cannot come back and he's really just uh he's all over the place and then so is she yeah but but in a different way what did you think of this sinister character and i can't pronounce his name kachamarek kachamarek yeah uh, so i uh i was really impressed by him also partially because of the actor who played him so the act his name is the uh, the name of the actor is Boris Boris Schitz. and I initially I was really surprised that they cast him in this film because I didn't the pre uh, in previous years when he appeared in movies he didn't really appeared in black and white indie romances but more mainstream comedies that were also kind of silly and inappropriate and I will it was a genu genuine positive surprise that he was able to give such a menacing performance mm. yeah so it, it this partially affected my view of the character but at hmm and then also was really it also partially let's say reflects on the current political uh, sta uh, status in Poland where there is this one party called law and justice that also is filled with people that would that are p members of it just in order to g gain something privately from uh, from uh, from the from the po political status, and uh, they're really you know slimy and sleazy and just want <laughs> to please the pl please their uh, bosses as um, as much as they can in order to gain as much as possible. Do you think he's emulating that? Partially, partially, yeah. I think I think so. Do you think the audience? I think you mentioned this in the in the Q and A that you think that Polish audiences watch this film, and do you think they'd have a different? Well, you are Polish, so you'd be able to say. But do you mm. think you'd have a different reaction uh, from an English audience? Because what I, he said in the uh, Q and A that. He's been to see it, obviously screenings of it in Poland, and people have been hysterical, laughing. And I don't think I had somebody. I think maybe said, had somebody giggle when she jumped in the lake, but nothing like that. Well, the first time I saw it, it was back in June, and it was with a <laughs> with a audience of uh, high school students. So I, uh, before let's doing this podcast i decided to watch it once again because i don't really feel that watching it with, with high schoolers is really the best way to see <laughs> a movie especially when you're sitting in the first row so you just have to stick stick your head up and it gets really uncomfortable after some time just you know watching the film because you want to put your head down but on the other hand if you put your head down you don't you don't really see anything <laughs> What about the high schoolers? What were they? Were they distracting? <laughs> yeah, they were a bit distracting, and also they. Uh, I believe that some of them, w w let's say, were, weren't really in tune with the story. Okay. So, yeah, maybe they also considered, oh, it's a romance, so it's boring or you know cheesy or something like that. It's quite an adult film. I think you. I think yeah. I wouldn't take my fourteen-year-old brother to see it. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, and also coming back to uh, the character of Kaczmarek and the partially the reason why some people may have been laughing, there is this, you know, big tradition of 
Polish comedies that in the com uh, in the com uh, during the communes there were a lot of satirical satirical comedies that were about these kinds of characters that want. Uh, that were kind of part, uh, working with the party, but on, not really because of the ideological reasons, but because they wanted to somehow improve their career. And I believe that's also partially why some people might have been laughing during uh, when he was talking to, let's say, Zula, Victor, or the other lady from the uh, Folgo group, Mazdorek. Yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. That, <laughs> I see. Um, I wanted to talk about him, Pavlikovsky's own life, because I thought that it was really interesting how his parents were called Zula and Victor, weren't they? Mm. And he based, I think, it loosely based it on them, but I wonder how much of it is true and how much of his own relationship he's put in there, because I think he had a, a terrible experience with his wife dying and how I wonder how that influenced his his. his portrayal of Oh, her. I wasn't aware of that. Maybe I made that up. I think that's true. <laughs> oh, the part ab about his wife dying. But about his mum and dad, did you know that? that well, I know that they were, uh, yeah, I've also heard that it's, uh, it is somewhat based on the, their relationship. And I think that to an extent it might be true, especially considering that he also moved with them in the early 1970s to the UK, so they might before he was born Sorry, uh, <laughs> we're traveling around, you know, Europe. Not yeah, and they had their one bit. And there's one bit in it where Victor gets his passport um, revoked, isn't it? He's not. He can't be a Polish citizen anymore, and that happened to him and his parents. Oh. So I think is I think what makes this film so so brilliant for me is that it is just feels so authentic because he's putting his own life in it. Hmm. And with the and with the um. With the with their relationship, their relationship feels so real, and it's not easy, and it's not it's not a, it's not your typical love story, is it? In any sense. Oh yes, yes. It it, it feels refreshing to see you know a love story that's not really the, uh, that's not so obvious. And there's also levels of manipulation in there, especially from Kaczmarek. I can't pronounce his name. I'm sorry. Uh, Kaczmarek. Kaczmarek. This terrible manipulation from him that Zula then feels she has to go and marry this guy yeah. in order to free Victor. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Kaczmarek, there is also one thing that I uh, uh, that, that I found out after uh, after the Q and A. So, do you remember the uh, the last performance of Zula where she was, you know, during this concert and she was uh, and Victor has come uh, come to her for the last time. Oh yeah, and she takes off her wig. Yes, yes, and the, the song before that. That's actually quite funny beat. So, bits. So, uh, I knew this song and but I wasn't sure from where I know it. And Actually, the song that she is singing is not from the, uh, well, originally the song was in German and it was translated to Polish, but the translation was from 1990s and the, uh, and the singer who uh, sang it uh, back then was known for, uh, was a known di disco polo performer. So disco polo is 
a music genre that's that's as as the name suggests it's very disco and you're supposed to dance with it and it's very upbeat and disco y- polo yes that sounds amazing yeah, and and it's really banal, and it's all about how, like for example, the mo- one of the most popular uh, disco disco polo songs right now is about uh, a man who's uh, going crazy over her because of her green eyes. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, and I believe that it also partially, and the fact that the, the song that Zula sings in the end is actually a disco polo song also partially suits, you know, the theme of this musical appropriation because in the uh, her final per, uh, performance isn't isn't really let's say anything with soul or some uh, with soul, or, but instead is a. Mass pr- is something that's mass produced for the masses, especially. Yeah, it feels utterly fake. And it is utterly fake. I guess that's why she comes... She basically leaves the stage absolutely pissed, drunk. Yeah. And rips off her wig because she's lying when she's with this guy. She's put on a false... She's singing in a different way. She's dressed in a different way. And then Victor sees her again and she removes her wig, reveals her natural hair. And it just, but that actually made me cry that bit because she's like, get me out of this situation, get me out because I'm so desperate. But yeah. So we think that Cold War should win. Yeah. What do we think they should win? Oh, I don't know. Everything. Oh, yes. She, that- deserves, she deserves best actress. He deserves most boring man Oh, of the actually film. speaking <laughs> of... Uh, <laughs> Oscar nominations score campaign. So I was recently looking through uh, internet on some kind of movie-related website, and there was a four-year consideration advertis- advertisement from Amazon Studio, who's the distributor of uh, Cold War in the US. And uh, one of the categories that they were suggesting the members of various voting bodies for movie awards was Best Actress. That's act- that I actually found quite you know, interesting and uplifting to some extent because they uh, Amazon Studios knows that the performance by Joanna Kulik is really really amazing and she has some chance of at least getting a nomination he's already Pavlikovsky's already won best director at Cannes yeah I should say so he has got something for it yes yes and um, and he's also already known in in the US because of uh, because of Ida. So there is some chance for him to uh, for Cold War to win something during the Oscars or other award ceremonies. And as a Polish person, I actually find it you know quite pleasing. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm just looking now on um, the uh, awards for with the Golden Globe nominations. Maybe we should talk about them a little bit. Oh yes, for sure. Well, but look, Kulik's not nominated for Best Actor here. We've got Glenn Close for The Wife, Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born, and Nicole Kidman for Destroyer, uh, Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Question mark. And Rosamund Pike for Private War, but no Kulik here. Very sad. And for Best for best Picture, what do you think of these? Black, Cla- Black Klansman, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, If Beale Street Could Talk and A Star Is Born, who's your favourite to win that? It was my favorite to win. That's, that's, that's actually a great question, partially because I have only seen two of five of these. <laughs> which one? Which one? Uh, Black Panther and The Star Is Born. So. 
And which would you like to win out of those? Uh, out of those, I, I was actually more fond of Black Panther than The Star is Born. So right now it's theoretically a star, uh, Black Panther, but I still need to see. I hope to God that Bohemian Rhapsody doesn't win. I've heard really the, that the opinions on this film were actually quite mixed, so... <laughs> yes, I think they were really mixed. But some people loved it. Yeah, for example, my parents and my sister went out and saw it not that long ago. She And, it, and in case of my sister, it actually helped her get into Queen music, so... Oh, that's good. So, yeah, so that's <laughs> nice. So that's not really nice. But you didn't see Black Klansman? No, sadly not. Thank, <laughs> thank you to, for listening to the UCL Film Society podcast. This has been Pavel and... Maeve. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thank you for having us. We've had a wonderful time talking about Cold War. Goodbye. Goodbye.